Amen. Good morning, good morning. Today's breakfast is sponsored in loving memory and Le'ilui Nishmatev of Aziza Abu Hasera Bat Simcha, Alea Shalom, and Bat Sheva Dahan Bat Sultana, Alea Shalom, sponsored by Mayor Torjaman. Also, breakfast is sponsored by Michelle and Joseph Safra in honor of their children, Elliot and Alberto Safra, and Gabriella and Nathan Marcus. Be'ezat Hashem, they'll find a beautiful zivug and come and move here to be with us together in the Keilah, inshallah. We'd love to see their smiling faces always. Breakfast is also sponsored in loving memory of Joseph's father, Elliot Safra, Lava Shalom. Le'ilu Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Jamile and Jacob, Lava Shalom, sponsored by Michelle and Joseph Safra. This week is my Bar Mitzvah Perasha, and it begins with the word Vayikra. Vayikra and Hashem called to Moshe. And our Chachamim explain on the word Vayikra that the little Aleph at the end of the word, the Balaturim explains, the reason why it's small is because when Moshe Rabbeinu heard that God said Vayikra and God called to Moshe, that sounds like a Lashon of Hiba, of, of warmth, of connection. Like it says, Avraham, Avraham. So Moshe heard that God wanted him to write, that he was calling him, that there was a, a, a special connection and a love between God and him. Moshe Rabbeinu was flipping out. He says, no, it can't be. I'm not going to write that. Instead, I'm going to write the word, Vayikir, which means not that God called, but that God happened upon. You know, it just happened to call uh, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. He happened upon him. It was a, a coincidence, an accident, etc., etc. That's the Lashon the Balaturim explains. Then it says, by Bil'am, Lashon Rashi says of Tum'ah, that you know what, the guy is just happy, he just happened, Hashem happened to need to use him as a messenger, so he did, but really it's nothing special about him. Moshe wants to write that in the Sefer Torah, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, no, it's not happening. You need to write Avayikra with an Aleph. So how does Moshe Rabbeinu fulfill uh, Hashem's will, which is to write it with an Aleph, but also not to appear haughty? He writes the Aleph small, so that if a person is looking from a distance, what do they see? They see what looks like the word Vayikir, because the Aleph is so small, that's the point. So it looks like that Moshe Rabbeinu was not somebody that was special. That's why the Aleph is written in that way. Now, the reason why this is true is because Moshe Rabbeinu, the reason why this is important is because we say in the Gemara, Ena Torah mit the Torah does not, uh, re- it's not ret- get retained, it does not stay or is not kept. Ela da'ato only in someone who's, uh, the way he thinks of himself is, uh, is in a low way. He's not always thinking that he's on the top of the heap. He's the most important person. Uh, he has that arrogance. Now, there's a beautiful diuk from the Sefer Lechem Lefiataf. He says, it doesn't just say that a Torah cannot be learned by someone who is not humble. It says the words of Torah are not mitkayim. They're not kept. They don't, uh, they don't remain. They don't stay. They are not retained. Why? Because even if a person, when he studied, he was very, very humble. And this is the case sometimes you have by people. That the more they study, the more they know, the more they feel, actually like they're worth uh, they're somebody. Eventually a person could learn a lot. And what happens? Now at this stage, at this later stage in his life, he develops into a Baal Ga'ava. He develops into someone who's arrogant. Says the words of the Gemara, it's not mitkayem. That means that even if the Torah was there in the beginning, in Anav, now that the person is no longer Anav, the Torah runs away from him. Why? Why is it so important to the Torah uh, that the person should be Anav? How come if a person, he learned it the right way, why, doesn't he, why does he now lose his Torah? Because he develops a sense of arrogance. And the Mifarshim explained something beautiful. 
And the pasuk v'yikhu itirumah, take for me itirumah, build for me a mishkan. Uh, the Midrash Rabbah explains that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to the Jewish people, look, I'm giving you my Torah, Parashat Yitro. I'm giving you my Torah. This is my daughter. I'm so connected with her. I can't have my daughter be taken away by, her, uh, by my son-in-law, by this, her chatan, to some other place, and I'll lose my connection. Impossible. I cannot be separate from the Torah. Build for me, wherever you go, a little room, one house, uh, wherever you are, I have a room near with you that I could stay, that I don't lose my connection with my daughter. Of course you could take her. Of course she's yours. I want you to marry her. I want you to have her. But I can't be separate from her. Says the Mepharshim, if that's what we learn in Parashat Turumah, it means that God can never be separated from the Torah. You need a separate little room along wherever the Torah goes. So if a person himself becomes the, the place where the Torah rests, but God needs to be with the Torah. If there's no way for God to live with you, like the Pasuk said, like the Gemara says, in Aniv who Yecholin Ladur Be'Olam Echad, we can't live in one space, Bekfifa Achat, in one in one area. We can't be together. If the person is repels God, then the words of Torah also they can't stay with him. God takes the Torah and leaves because it's not a place where God feels. Uh, that it's possible for him to be able to stay. This Torah, it's not something that is a little bit of wisdom or knowledge or intellect or, uh, or academia that a person studies and it's not related to their uh, character traits. The character traits of a person will dictate whether or not the Torah, number one, will go into his heart, number two, will stay there. In fact, in the expression of the Gemara, we find Gemara in Ta'anit says that the Torah is compared to three different types of liquid. One of them is water, the second one is wine, and the third is milk. These three liquids, you can't put it in a, you know, you can't put it in a very special vessel. In fact, there was once a, a tremendous Tamil Chacham, and this, uh, the Matronita, this woman, she comes to him, the Roman noblewoman, she says to him, you know, you're so wise, how could such wisdom be held you know, in such an ugly person. He says to her, you know, you're right. I don't really have a choice. I don't really have a choice, but really you're 100% right. He says, do you have wine? She says, yes. She says, what do you keep it in? She says, I keep it in earthenware. You know, downstairs in the basement, it's in glassware and earthenware. He says, glassware and earthenware. You're a princess. You should be keeping your wine in uh, jugs of gold and silver. Of course, she says, you know what? You're 100% right. She transfers all of her wine into gold and silver vessels. And of course, what happens? Uh, all the wine all goes and turns into vinegar. She comes up to the rabbi. She says, what are you doing to me? I don't understand. You know, you gave me this piece of advice. You're supposed to be so smart. And he said to her, exactly what you said to me is what I said to you. You asked me, how come uh, the Torah is in a vessel that's so humble, that's so ugly, that's so small, that's so shafel, that's so low? And I'm explaining to you that something fine, something uh, 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 that has a, a heightened sensitivity, it can't be in something uh, which is uh, gold or shiny or arrogant. So we, all of us, if we want the words of Torah to enter into our hearts and to be able to stay with us in our life through all of life situations, it's important that we protect the, uh, the keli, the outside vessel. Rabotai, I want to share with you something amazing. They tell a story about the Nitivot and Rabbi Akiva Eger. The two of them are riding in a, car in a carriage and they pull into a city. Of course, everybody hears that these two giants of Torah are sitting in the carriage. They come up and they're dancing and singing around the horse and the wagon. 
Eventually, someone says, how could it be two sadikim like this are being pulled, that the zikhut is going to two horses? Not possible. They take the horses, they unhitch the horses from the carriage, and the people themselves take the carriage on their shoulder, and they're taking the ropes, and they're pulling the carriage of these two talmidei chachamim into town. Everyone wants the zikhut of having the honor of a talmid chacham. Meanwhile, Rabbi Akiva Ega looks outside the window, he sees what's going on. He says, Uli, I can't believe all these people came out. They couldn't have come out for me. I'm a nobody. But for sure, for the Nitivot Shalom, you know, they want to show this honor. Nitivot Shalom looks out his window. He sees the crowds of people. He says, wow, all these people come. Fantastic. They're pulling the carriage. It's not for me. It must be for Rabbi Akiva Ega. Who am I? I'm nobody. Each one of them, at the same time, they didn't look at each other. They tried to sneak out. They snuck out of the carriage. And they were carrying, pulling the carriage to give respect to the other one in the carriage. They get to the city. And all the singing. They open the doors. There's nobody in the carriage. So they asked once the Chazon Ish. They said, is this true? Is this story true? And the Chazon Ish says, look, I don't know if the story was true. I wasn't there. But if you understand the character and the nature of these two Geonim, he says, even if, the, even if I don't know if the story happened, it definitely could have happened, and it probably did happen. Now, the only thing I could say about something like that is, you know, like they say about it, they say the great story about a guy who goes to court, and they're giving, uh, they're giving testimony, and they, the witnesses come, and they start telling the judge story after story after story about, uh, about the Hafez Chaim. Afterwards, the judge says, look, how do I know any of these stories are true? And the, uh, the defense attorney says, I don't know if they're true or if they're not true. But this I can tell you. They don't say stories like that about you and me. Right? They don't say stories like that about you and me. But about Rabbi Akiva Eger and the Nitivot, on each one of those people, no matter how great they were, they understood how, um, how great, and I always say this, no matter how great they were, they also understood how great they were not. How much more there was to grow, how much more there was to learn. It's only when someone begins to scratch the surface that actually you understand how much there is to know uh, in the world of Torah. I want to share one last point, which I think is very, very powerful on the word, on the word of Vayikra. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to change the Vayikra to Vayikir, which means that God happened upon him. And the question that we have to understand is, what does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to write it? What does that mean? And I want to share with you an interesting insight into this. One of, the, one of the Yud Gimel, one of the 13 uh, uh, principles of faith uh, that is written by Harambam is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest Navi that ever lived and that ever will live. If a person doesn't believe in one of the 13 principles of faith, the person's considered apikores. Now let me ask you a question. Those 13 principles of faith, those 13 ikarim, those ideas, do they apply to everyone in the world, to every Jew in the world besides Moshe Rabbeinu? Of course not. If Moshe Rabbeinu would not have believed that Moshe Rabbeinu was Moshe Rabbeinu, he wouldn't have been Moshe Rabbeinu, he would have been an apikores. So he's not allowed to write Vayikir. Oh, Vayikir, heke, I'm just a regular guy. No, you're not. You're not a regular guy. You're the biggest Navi that ever lived and that ever will live. So for Moshe Rabbeinu to write the word Vayikir is, it's heresy. How did he do that? Anava aside, Azaku Baruch. He can't do that. You don't believe. He's not even allowed to believe it. Never mind, write it. So the answer I find is very, very powerful. The idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was writing down is the word itself vayiker, which means that what Moshe Rabbeinu was suggesting is not that he's smaller than any other Nevi. He's not allowed to believe that. He's not allowed to write that. 
What he was suggesting is, although I'm bigger than anybody in the world, that just happens to be the case. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to make me the Navi that was going to speak Panim El Panim. He's going to take me up into the very heavens and transmit all of the laws and all of the ideas of Torah that would ever be learned in the history of the world. He's going to come and give them to me. So what happens when God wants to take, communicate Torah to the world and he needs a vessel? He takes that vessel and he imbues it with superpowers. Like we found last week with Bitzalel, he's a little punk. He's a kid. And what does the Pasuk say? Va'amaleoto. And I filled him with this wisdom. That means that who did that? Did Bissalel do that? No. Hashem filled him. So Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, not that I'm a smaller Navi. Hashem happened to choose me. I'm a regular guy. I'm selling hot dogs. That's not the point. Moshe Rabbeinu understood exactly who he was. He knew that he was the biggest Navi. But he said, why did, have, why did I, why was I the one that Hashem made into the biggest Navi? In fact, in the very beginning when Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen, Moshe says to God, Shalach Nabiyatishlach. Send in the hands of Aharon. Let's say, for argument's sake, God had decided that the one who was going to bring the Sefer Torah, the, the bring Torah down from the heavens to the human beings, was going to be Aharon. So who would be the biggest Navi that ever lived? Aharon would be the biggest Navi. If, let's say, as an example, the Jewish people had merited to go out of Egypt even earlier, let's say, before Moshe Rabbeinu, God would still have needed to give the Torah. Moshe would not have been alive. Who would have been the biggest Navi? Whoever the person was that God gave the Torah to. So the point of Moshe Rabbeinu's statement was, Vayiker, yes, I'm very, but I'm, I was lucky. And I love to point this out. The Gemara says that although a person's not allowed to have uh, ga'ava, he's not allowed to have arrogance, he's allowed sheminit, shebeshminit. He's allowed an eighth of an eighth, which if anyone studies math will know is a 164th. So was the Gemara incapable of saying 164th? In fact, we have a very similar example to this. We find all over the place it says that a per- death is 160th. The Gemara knows how to make larger fractions. The Gemara could have said, you're allowed to have 164th. So I think the answer is very, very powerful. The idea of Shemini, the number 8 in, uh, in Judaism, always represents the supernatural, the miraculous. What Moshe Rabbeinu was communicating is exactly what the Gemara says. You think that you're so smart? Wonderful. I'm not denying that. But that's a miracle. You didn't do that. That was supernatural. That was given to you not by yourself. You didn't develop that. That was handed to you. That's a miracle. But the question as to why I was the one that God did that miracle to is also something. So a person's allowed sheminit, sheba sheminit. Once they are aware of the miraculous elements of their nature, of their character traits, a person is now allowed to look again and say, yes, but why did God make that miracle for me? Why? The miracle of choice that God chose me is also something. So Moshe Rabbeinu, he was saying exactly on that nekudah, vayiker, it happens to be, but it could have been anyone. The Sefarim tell us on this vayiker, that this little aleph, a beautiful concept, and with this will end, that Moshe Rabbeinu, we know his face was karan, ne Moshe, or they were shining. And where was it shining from? From the extra dior, from the extra ink that was left in the kulmus, in the quill, when he was writing the Sefer Torah. 
What do you mean the extra ink? God gave him this divine kumus to write the Sefer Torah. God knows how much ink there needs to be. Why didn't he give him exactly the amount of ink that he needed to write the Sefer? The answer is, he did. But because Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Aleph small, there was a little bit of extra ink left in the pen. Why? Because that was the bit that wasn't used. And that was what, that, from that ink, he put on Moshe's face and that made Moshe's face shine. Now we understand that it's not just that Moshe Rabbeinu put a little ink on his face and his shiny ink and who knows what's going on. But actually the point is what makes Moshe shine is that he's the greatest leader that ever lived. And what is he trying to do? Not maximize that, not push, push it down people's throats, but actually try and draw the least amount of attention to himself. And finally Moshe Rabbeinu gets that ink on his face and his face is shining. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? And he puts on his face Masveh. That is the person that Torah could be given to and that could be, that could be retained Torah. Because that is the vessel that keeps these liquids that need to be retained in a vessel which is Shafel. Baruch Amen. 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 Amen.